Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. Welcome to the third episode of Design Your Life, from Lego to skyscrapers, the life of an architect. We'll be speaking to some of the most influential architects who are shaping our cities and the way that we live. We'll go behind the facade to understand what inspires them, how they juggle business and family life and the responsibility that comes with designing the places, cities and destinations that we live, work and play in. In this episode, I'll be talking to Gianluca Racana, director of Zaha Did's office based in London. We'll talk about the challenge of carrying on Zaha's legacy after her passing and what goes into designing some of the most iconic buildings in the world. Hello, Gianluca. Hi. Hi, it's Vince. How, How are you? Are you? Good morning. Good evening. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Are you at home or are you in the office? We are at home, yes. We uh, are of course. still on, uh, working from our mode. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously you're in London, right? Yes, yes. Definitely. And, <laughs> London, um, I mean, a few months. And it's quite a becoming quite a serious situation there, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a bit strange because when you it from we we all at home working as usual mm-hmm. so you don't really see much uh-huh. but obviously you have news around you and you know the numbers and etc yeah. so yeah I mean apparently it's been like that for over a year many people unless you're affected directly you don't really notice much going on and as well my family all my family went through the COVID already in a life form Mm-hmm. So somehow we're less concerned. Yeah. Okay. You've been through. But before. yeah, we we're starting to give vaccines, so it's, the situation should ease at a certain point, hopefully. It's really cool to have you on the Design Your Life podcast, and I'm really thank you for making the time to have a conversation uh, with me. Sure. But I just wanted to, I mean, start with just telling me a bit about your background and how you started out with Zaha Did. Okay, I started in. Zadid Architect in uh, 2000, mm-hmm. so has been roughly 20 years. Yep. Uh, when I started, I just finished uh, my postgraduate study at the Architectural Association London, which is the school where I was teaching. So it had a lot of links with the office. So many people from my, uh, let's say, the best students from our classes were going to work there. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of nomad Period. I mean, I graduated my undergraduate a few years before in Italy, in Rome, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And then I embarked on a few years of travel and studies in Paris, Barcelona, New York. Uh, so I've been studied as well at the Columbia University and uh, the School of Architecture in Barcelona. So before just settling in London, I've seen a bit of uh, uh, many experiences in design and cities and architecture and way mm-hmm. to approach this from different angles. So I felt very much at home in the office in London, which was already very international, very progressive, very, let's say, stimulating from intellectual point of view. Mm. Were you looking for, you know, going to all those cities and working and learning in those different places? Were you, did London just feel right uh, for you at that time? I would say I was really looking for something new and exciting all the time. Uh, I used to say London is not really a city that 
let's say, shock yourself or embrace this beauty of could be uh, Paris or mm-hmm. it doesn't have the raw energy that you may find in New York. Yeah. But still, it's a place where you find a lot of, uh, let's say, under the cover, you find a lot of uh, ideas, you find a lot of uh, differences, you find a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mostly for me, being in London that time was to be at the architectural school, which at the time was one of the best around. Yeah. And as well, uh, in the office, it was a kind of, uh, let's say, totalizing experience because we were there in the office day and night. We were working on project after project and we, we were quite all a young crew and very ambitious and very dedicated I think for me, the the first years in London were really uh, very much interconnected with work. Yeah, those early years, you were and working 24-7 probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. We didn't manage that for too many days in a row, but in terms of this for two or three days in a row, we were on that mode. Mm. As well, I was quite lucky on the, on the timing. I mean, I joined the office just after they... Uh, won a big competition in Rome for a contemporary art center. It was called, it's called the Max, it was being built afterwards. Mm. Uh, and that was the winning project after a number of competition and uh, experimental projects. At the time, the, the office was very small, it was around 20 people. Wow. And were mostly rotating around that idea and drive for uh, experimentation of new ideas and new form or representation of architecture and space. So it was not much on, on a, let's say, there were not much buildings in the office mm-hmm. built or uh, advanced design. They were all like preliminary ideas and very forward-looking conversation. So I think there was that kind of energy and the project of Maxi was the first one really uh, competition idea, very groundbreaking, and the client of the jury was very uh, brave to choose this project for a relatively small office. And then was the challenge for us to to detail, to document the project and build it. Mm. So I think that was a let's say uh, changing of age and growing pains for us to learn that on um, that tipping curve. And being the project in my city, I naturally took a lead on that. So I think for the next uh, four or five years, I was fully dedicated to it. And it was really a great experience, a great opportunity to me as a young architect to work on an international scale of a national important project, to work directly with that, to convert into uh, bricks and concrete or ideas. So I think that was yeah, as I say, it was kind of like exhilarating and putting in practice and deal with reality from a very high, very, uh, let's say, ambitious design point of view, then going on site and uh, speak with a contractor and the workers, follow all that process, mm. which is the essence of what an, art, what an architect do. But yeah. obviously, that was an, an exceptional scale and ambition project as well was a very large uh, design team and consultant team from all over you all all Europe 
I think that was really a great opportunity for me, but as well, yeah, it has become a, a major project and really a benchmark project as well for the old architectural community internationally. As you see, the Sterling Prize, which is the, the highest prize here in UK for yeah. RABA for architecture, it has received the Mies van der Rohe Prize from the European community and a number of other awards around the, the world. Mm. I think that was the start for me, and yes, as I said, it was a very positive uh, start. And and you're you're you grew up in Rome, right? So, um, you know, the Eternal City. Did growing up in Rome influence you? You know, surrounded by Italian architecture and culture, um, did that inspire you to become an architect? Yeah, I studied in Rome and spent many uh, many years there. I actually born on a small town in South Italy, okay. around 60,000 people. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure why I decided to study architecture. I mean, it, I was always fascinated with history, philosophy, so some kind of, let's say, intellectual and academic challenges. At the same time, I was being a very practical person, so I thought that architecture will help or will fulfill the, let's say, ambition to do something which uplifts your spirit and as well challenge your intellect, but as well leave a mark and pose practical problems to which you have to give rational solution. So I think that for me was when I chose to this career was my, uh, my idea. Mm. As well, I always enjoying as you say, going around cities, looking at the beauty of historical architecture, but as well simply on the proportion of a of a square of public space, how the physical environment then can influence everyday life and the the well being, the deep well being of people. Mm-hmm. So I think that always interested me and my passion as well for travel. Uh, so when I chose to study this career, I moved to Rome, and as you say, the, the Rome is. Uh, the eternal city can be a bit daunting for people studying design and architecture because there is so much reference which somehow you could as well uh, uh, just keep your wind and forcing you to go back always to the thing and the proportion you know as I said I studied there for a while and then I started to to travel and pay my study abroad by working on local practice so I really broadened my my, my view on way to design, but as well, more like a, uh, let's say, psychological approach that you can actually create something new. You can do something to respond to everyday questions and new challenges, not necessarily by repeating what has been done already, but as well to, to, to create and design something new. So I think, yes, that's the part, the classical reference of a part in my in my career, in my uh, education, but as well, I think it's well balanced with an other type of studies and schools. Could could you imagine the Maxi Museum in Rome ever being, you know, that type of architecture? I mean, that that must have been quite a, it's a bit like the Opera House here, very, you know, when the Opera House was built, uh, Utsun, um, there's a lot of people loved it, a lot of people didn't like it. Um, You know, the traditionalist, you know, was horrified by it. Was it the same in Rome? I'm imagining even more so because such a such an incredible historical yeah, yeah. city. It was even more, honestly, and we were all quite surprised at that uh, 
for that win. I mean, the jury itself was composed of not a single person below 60 or 70 years old. They were all historical, uh, historian and academics and uh, museum director, which is in Italy museum is really the traditional one, the, uh, the Verderina sound painting in a grand palazzo. Mm-hmm. So the the fact that they choose this very uh, this very contemporary year was groundbreaking. But as well, I have to say, the idea itself for the museum it was the museum of twenty first century. Uh, the competition was won on ninety nine. So the idea that the museum will host only work of art, which was not was was not there yet, only from two thousand onwards. Mm. And actually, on the first year of the exhibition they could only get a collection from other museums. They have a art prize, uh, which they give every year to to artists and acquire their work. So they're building up their true collection, which is built over the last 20 years in Steve So normally when you do a museum, just the first thing you get to the brief was the collection, what you have to host, what you have to display. In that case, there was nothing of that. We didn't know what would go there, and probably the medium and the, the art uh, form that we go there were not still explored. That's so it was completely like a sort of uh, platform designed with the first with the visitors in mind because the art wasn't there yet. Mm. And that can, this is why our idea was especially, uh, let's say, seducing for the client because as a design, the museum is not organized through uh, traditional rooms and traditional way of display. It's a sort of free promenade of spaces, all interconnecting, giving multiple possibility of aggregation and exploration. Uh, we use the concept of the drift by to let's say to describe the, the attitude of the visitors. We will just simply go into the museum and choose its route uh, on a multiple possibility uh, accordingly partially with the museum curator uh, let's say uh, organization but as well simply by its will to explore one part of the other of the space both indoor and outdoor mm. there were linear spaces uh, all open to the plaza I think it was a very porous and permeable uh, concept which somehow was a real clash with some of some other entries. We were they were proposing traditional uh, mm. boxes or so the white box uh, mm. concept of steel, which was very much involved, like uh, at that time. So, so more so re- think, more restrained. Uh, more uh, the competition was more restrained, maybe influenced by the the city, perhaps. Uh, somehow we found reference in the city. Uh, let's say the Rome was a layer of historical uh, uh, architecture. You could find old Roman, Roman ruin, you can find Renaissance, uh, Gothic architecture and Baroque, maybe in the same building on different layer, as well the idea of the light, which is very uh, crisp and uh, very strong in Rome, which can give, lift up interior spaces, but as well needs to give a sort of control to, con- to protect the artwork. So all this element, and as well the out- outdoor life in Southern Europe, all this element was part of the design. Mm. Uh, so I should say the design was somehow was very, the wind was not, um, unexpected. 
the design was branded as unfeasible and futuristic <laughs> and I don't know science fiction. Yeah. I used to say our first render didn't really add that because intentionally we were pushing on the what will be the possibility of that building rather than what will be the building itself. And all the representation we had were very abstract and almost like wanted to be a sort of art, uh, art piece rather than making really explain how you get from here to there, where are the steps, where are the toilet, etc. So I think the beginning was quite tough and both on public opinion and as well professional around us or we were very... Uh, if they scared of it. Yeah. But the client itself was very brave. They, they found, I mean, there were some artists in the jury. The artists themselves were in love with our concept. Mm. Uh, and they really didn't dislike some of the other proposals. Mm. So I think they see that possibility. And then, and let's say that we prove ourselves. I mean, the project has been built and uh, with a local contractor, it has become a center of regeneration of the whole area. It was the Flaminio Quarter. And uh, when I was studying there, that area was not really one you, you go at night. There were prostitutes and there were drug dealers. Mm. Uh, the whole area changed because of the city initiative. There is another public museum and the, the auditorium from uh, Renzo Piano close by. Uh, and the, the max as well, as reuse on former military installation. So that that block is all closed and not accessible to public. So instead, we'd open it up. There is a, uh, the Marxist per se institution which wants to be an open platform. And most of the museum is accessible without tickets. Uh, the outdoor plaza is very large. You have bar and shops and open areas where kids can play. You can see it's an active place. Mm. From morning, you can see the the, the the elderly people of the the surrounding area going there to take a stroll or a coffee and then the families at night usually there are events or concerts and it's always active and there's a lot of green which is lacking in the area. Mm-hmm. So it's become a center of really the regeneration of the old of the old area. So from a military installation it becomes uh, let's say a truly public space. So I think that has changed the perception of our people. I mean, I think people in Rome is very proud of it now. Mm. And I have to say, uh, when someone from abroad arrived in Rome and maybe noticed with a bit of irony, always everything is so old here, and they, they, they bring them always to the market because it's really something they feel they put them on the same level of the uh, same cultural institution in London or New York and mm. Paris where really contemporary language is spoken and designed. Mm. And I have to say, Italian at the end, they have a edge for, for design. They may, be, they may have lost it a bit, but they were pretty much in the forefront of design in the, in the past, Absolutely. in the, let's say, the last century. <laughs> let's say, they just call it like that. Yeah. I think there is the same thing and this love of beauty. I mean, this, I think at the end has been recognized. Well, that, I think, all in all, uh, as usual, every project is to be successful. A project needs to change and needs to uh, improve some condition, which is not ideal. Obviously, to have a military barracks in uh, in ruin in the center of the city is not good. So you have to change that. Mm-hmm. The change usually is a bit painful sometimes because the noise, the 
that people people is used to see and the unknown what will be there. But then at the end, usually after a few years, the city is able to absorb everything, make it coherent. I mean, at the end of the day, cities are um, somehow a comfort of things. And what makes it beautiful is as well the diversity. How do you know how to make it right for the future like that? You're designing buildings that are, you know, going to take a long time to develop and long time to the city to embrace, and you future-proof them in 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 the way that you work, right? How do you know when it's right? Yes, I mean, yeah, I think it's well, the typical problem for design. I mean, you do something, if you do a mobile phone, you know, you have to last one or two years because you have to sell another one, and you don't mind about it will be obsolete or not. And for building, you need to do something which stands for centuries. Mm. I think, I mean, the only way to to be sure of that is somehow not follow what is a fashion, because fashion just change and it will be, the building will look obsolete very soon. But just to look at what is the, the actual need and function for the building itself. And what is a constant on the city city life and what constantly are on the behaviors of uh, the users. So mm-hmm. I think everyone likes to be in a space which is good natural light, which is inviting, which is not too noisy. And uh, you need you want to have a public area where you have some green. I think that through the centers you can see in cities and successful cities that has been the ones which are more uh, successful. So you try to, to learn, but I mean, this is really what is the training of an architect. You need to learn what are the constant in the city evolution, which are the good uh, example, which has been proposing through centuries, through different forms and styles, but coming back and the one that didn't really work. Mm. So I think, I don't know, maybe we learn from, uh, from the modernist approach we learn that tall buildings in empty spaces at the end of the day don't work mm. because people feel alienated there and doesn't mean it doesn't mean that because simply you have empty space at the base of the tower, people will go there and aggregate. So it's not opportunity for the residents to to meet each other. Mm. So I think you have to create that those opportunities. Uh, but as I say, there are many historical examples in which you can see that happening successfully. So I think that is something you learn in your training, in project after project, and it's a, you learn from older professional, and somehow you decide to put your own input. But I think, as I say, you have to you have to make sure you don't just follow fashion or what's your personal ambition as a designer, which is a exhilarating position somehow when you know that what you draw on a drawing then it will be built and stay there for centuries you may tend to to give to I don't know vanity if you want mm-hmm. you just make something eccentric because people will always remember and I think that is a temptation that as a mature professional you always need to resist and just look what is right to do on that uh, space for that climate for that people mm. I mean, this this was your first major project, right? So, and what was it? That must have been a massive learning curve for you. That scale and that importance of the, such a project was that intimidating? 
at the beginning it was, but I have to say, um, surprising. I was very optimistic and in control of the process somehow. As I say, they arrived to the office after years of traveling and somehow challenging myself in different environments and different practice. It was challenging, but somehow I can see on the old team around me, somehow they were looking up for somehow for guidance and for to steer the process and there were other from the client side there was very experienced people. I think I never felt that uh, let's say that panic. I always felt we were doing something good and something I truly enjoyed. So mm. I never had any moment of despair, let's say. It was always a very positive drive. And as well, architecture is a collective effort. I mean, you're never by yourself. You're in a team. And I was with Sa, with Patrick Schumacher, and with the rest of the team, with the consultant. And it was always uh, a positive mood to, uh, and a collective effort. At the same time, the project lasted, uh, lasted many years. So it's during that, we do all the projects in, in parallel. And you learn from, from experiences. We were doing another large project in Milan, uh, the City Life. It was a different park. It was a private project. He had a tower, uh, park, residential component, and retail. We were doing another project in Barcelona for an auditorium, a main competition. I mean, there was not only one assignment, and there were many of them. As well, you always get the feedback from, from the rest of the office. Mm-hmm. So I think, as I say, it's not a collective effort. I mean, it was an effort at the end of the building, the first exhibition opened in 2009, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So I think the building design lasted two years, and then the construction around five, and then there was the only installation. So I think it was a long process, and in, after 10 years, myself I was definitely much more prepared to, to steer that process towards the end. And and what was it like walking into the into the museum? You know, with its you know with all the artworks etc. in there. I mean, that must have been an incredible experience. What's it like now when you go back? Well, well you're not, you're not flying around probably now. But, you know. No, no. But they go there every time, and luckily every time a friend or a friend of a friend goes there, send me picture. That's mm-hmm. somehow personally associated with it. I have to say we 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 saw it building bit by bit when you have fun. I mean, you don't, you don't notice how it's grown until a friend tells you, oh, it's really changed. And that was the process of construction. Mm. So every corner, we look at it, that it was, I don't know, just a wet piece of concrete in a, in a spade. And then we look at building up. So it was, if you want a slow process, you get used to it. The building was finished. I mean, the first opening, as I told you, was the building was empty and the client had a, very, very nice idea. We organized an art performance by Sasha Valls. It's a choreographer and dancer. They do specific uh, installation for uh, for big opening, but as well for urban spaces. And they organized the, this huge uh, performance and ballet in the building, which lasted uh, more than a month. So they, they really, they arrive on site one month before the performance, they started to look at it. They were very smart, very talented uh, artists. So for every corner of the building, they imagine a small performance, piece of theater, a piece of dance, 
So the opening, the first opening was this kind of mode. Basically, there was no art. So there was this art, music, and dance all going around, and people gathering in corners and rooms to look at it. So it was really amazing. I mean, obviously, it was, it was an exciting moment. I was extremely proud of it. But especially to see it active with people, just hundreds and hundreds of people coming in and out uh, during the old day and the late night. So that was a fantastic experience. And then it was a second opening with the artwork and then many, many more. So I think I'm always proud of it. But I should say more than the, the building itself uh, or the artwork, I'm always impressed how people enjoy the let's say, to explore things which are slightly different. I think we have, I mean, with architecture, with the, when you do something like a mini trip abroad, when you go to a new city, maybe you're from Sydney, you're used to it, and you see everything from granted, and then a tourist mm-hmm. arrives, and it's in Ave and looking around. And that moment, you're tired of your city because you mm-hmm. see with someone else's eyes, and yeah. with a, let's say, the ingenuity of the first moment. Mm-hmm. So I really like to look at that, mostly not at the building or the art, but just how people arrive and enjoy it and maybe stay another hour just sitting in the lobby to look around or in the plaza to, to let the kids run around. I think I, I enjoy that as become a, a place for the city, for, for people to, to, to really enjoy it. Amazing. I mean, it must be, there must be times when you walk around the building you discover... I mean, have you, do you, have you know intimately and know every single, like, corner, nook and cranny, nut and bolt? I mean, do, do you, um, you must know that building so oh, intimately. Yeah. Are there places and parts oh. of it you go, oh, I wish that, that didn't quite work or that, that worked better than I thought? And Somehow, let's see, let me see, we organize a lot of new exhibitions. Sometimes we change little things. They close a the room, they create a new corridor, mm-hmm. uh, they close the gallery. I think the first instinct I had when I see that, I was a bit not upset, but to say, well, they did that, they didn't even ask. And it was a sense of that was my my project and they changing it. Oh. But then somehow I, I like that idea. I mean, that they, the building itself is transforming. Sometimes they need to do exhibition, which are purely video, and they need to black out everything. And obviously there are spaces designed for that. Mm-hmm. But because of the rotating exhibition, possibly they have to do it in another room, which was not intended for that. It's full of glazing, it's all light, and they just cover up everything and enclose it with, I don't know, timber and temper installation. So I think that was a bit uh, surprising to see mm-hmm. that there are uses that you never intended or you maybe don't want to, that they go on anyway. And it's a sort of living leaving things and it does by itself. And the certain point, as an architect, to build such a large project, you work on it very hard for like from five to 10 years. Mm. And then there is a point, and I see many times in the office, we have very talented architects. They work very hard on a specific building for years, maybe the first construction. And then it's a point when the, Building finish, it's open. You don't need to go there every day anymore to check mm-hmm. what the contractor is doing. You don't have to send drawing anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a sort of hangover. And I've seen it that in many of my colleagues as well. Mm-hmm. It's somehow something that was so present and so 
important for you and you care so much, at the certain point, just goes. Just mm. goes and you don't see it anymore. So on I to, think that is a strange moment. Yeah. Then I, you go on on the next one, but, you know, it's, it's a different thing. Once you're on site, it's almost finished with all the excitement. When you start a new project, the start is always kind of low. You don't have the same attachment. It take a while just to switch uh, emotionally, let's say. Mm. But yeah. I guess it's something that happens to every architect. I guess being being from Rome and being an architect and working with Zaha, um, you were like the the glue, I guess, between the the client and uh, the firm, right? Especially when it's a small firm of twenty people at the time. Yes, I had like I was lucky to have that role, both because well, I didn't speak Italian, the client barely speak English, so just start linguistically, it was a need for a bridge but mostly culturally mm, yeah. and uh, something I enjoyed it did happen for a few times I mean I, we were working in Spain at the time as well mm-hmm. and we had a project in Barcelona where I started for a while and did my final project it was the same to go back to a city which I knew very well to culture they understand to language which is familiar and help to bridge the ideas coming from Zaha which or from the office with a very international uh, outlook to bridge it and translate it for the local culture and to speak with the people there, be immediately a point of reference because they can see that you understand the language, the Mm. culture, the way of doing things. And this is an aspect which is, let's say, in our office and other offices similar to us, which is really exciting, the nature, the international and global nature of the work. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many professions there are uh, which offer that. Maybe if you are investment banker, yes, you do a lot of international deals and you go around. But mostly there is a local office, there is a branch of your company there and they deal with that country. In our case, we are relatively most companies. We are largest an office of architects with around 450. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was amazing that from the office in London, we were from every corner, from Sydney to Mexico City to, to Japan to North America. And it's the same people, the same 400 people that sit here, that travel around, build up teams and join venture with local partners mm-hmm. and speak with clients. And you have that exposure. In a year, you may go to two or three different continents to follow up different projects. So mm-hmm. that is an exciting part. I mean, every time you go to a new city, uh, you start to look at the environment and explain the project. Many times we win work on competition, which for first state uh, like adrenaline uh, fuel process. Mm. So I think that is an excitement, which is an added, uh, let's say, excitement to the design process itself. Mm-hmm. So to go to to have that let's say, opportunity to travel and explore, but not only superficially, just. You know, to do a building or a large building in a city requires you really to understand a lot of it. Mm. A lot from the technical, let's say, point of view, how they build things, how they finance, how they uh, building code, but as well a lot of how people perceive space and use space and how the climate and the culture is influencing them, the, the built environment. Mm. I think it's, it's not just a 
let's say, a tourist approach, not even travel, like a traveler approach. It's mostly you have to become a sort of local to, to engage that uh, subject. Mm. And mm. yes, I mean, in Rome did happen, obviously, but did happen in other cities. And somehow when you work for years, uh, I mean, for example, in, in Australia and Sydney, I've been traveling many times. And as you know, we've been designing the airport and uh, in west of Sydney. Uh, we had all the yeah. project in Melbourne. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, I partially, my wife is from there. So ah. I've been there, in, been down, down under many times. Ah, and okay. Somehow I feel I quite a lot connected with the Australian uh, culture and identity. I bet she's missing Australia yes. now, isn't she? <laughs> well, we were due to come for Christmas, but oh. we weren't allowed. So we, so we would try again next Christmas. No. I, was I gonna... think it's, it's that feeling, even if, even if in the other part of the world. I mean, you go there and you feel kind of a home and yeah, you feel able and uh, not scared to, to go on and be this large project. Yeah. I mean, congratulations too. I just saw today on LinkedIn that you've you've won uh, the office has won the competition to build Tower C at Shenzhen uh, Base Super Headquarters Base. Um, I mean, the CGI's yeah. look breathtaking. It's a huge project. Um, are you part of this project? Yeah. Part of this project? Not specifically. Hmm. I mean, I'm on the board of the company. We are five directors, mm-hmm. and somehow we peer review all projects and. But then we are really divided the old design. Uh, let's say the old architect has divided in three studios. I'm leading one of the three studios. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's say this project is one with one of my colleagues. So, I mean, obviously I know about it. And we, we knew about it for a while. And all the design, but it's not directly, let's say, one of my designs or I don't supervise it. Mm. But, you know, we have, we have a lot of work in China. I mean, at the moment, it's one of the countries which is more uh, active. We went out of the COVID, uh, the pandemic, quicker than other regions. Yeah. And, uh, yes, we have work everywhere. We have a few offices in China, one in Beijing, one in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Although our model, as I said before, is to do all the signs from London mm-hmm. and... Obviously, in conjunction with our Chinese colleagues, mm-hmm. but we we like the idea. I mean, our designers are trained for years, and we have a tight control. I mean, a tight process of collective a peer review of ideas. Mm. So I think we we know very well what is coming out of the office. Yeah. But yes, we have many projects in China, in both in the south, in the north, and in the interior region. Yes, and we keep winning. I mean, this year has been really busy for us, strangely, mm-hmm. even though we were all working from home. Our workload has increased a lot. We won a number of competitions, high profile in China, in Europe, uh, Middle East. So it's been really a good year. Isn't it incredible how you can kind of do that type of work like, that you're doing from your homes? It's just so bizarre, isn't it? The thought of it. I mean, maybe we're all used to, yeah, we're, we're it's all used something... to it now, but... It's quite unexpected, as you say. I mean, if you think a year ago, when some of our team were asking, well, can I work one day from home? Everyone was kind of suspicious because they think, well, <laughs> will, will, will I really work or not? But this yeah. is the day in, the, in front of the TV, just pretending to work. And exactly. now we are all from home. And 
this year especially, we won competition without going into the to meet the client in person, mm-hmm. just studying sites on Google Maps and conference call. That is quite, uh, let's say, really, really unexpected. But we, I have to say, we're running projects. We're doing now uh, a master plan in Budapest. I mean, it's not only the master plan as well, the building design for large mixed-use sites. And the whole thing was done online. I mean, we were brave enough to travel. There was a small window. Around July, things were starting to look better. So there were, it was possible to travel in Europe. So we were just in time for to meet the client, to visit the site, to present the project. But that's it. Then it was impossible to travel anymore. Mm-hmm. But we won the project. It was a competition process. And we're doing that completely online. And it's like people, you work in person. You, we meet them every week in a large Zoom conference. And it does work. I mean, I have to say the quality of the work doesn't really decrease and neither the ambition or the interaction with the client. So Mm. at the moment, it seems to work, although I am a bit wary for the long period because I I say it does work because it's a very, people in the team know know each other since many years. So you know what you expect. You can read the the subtle body language or you know what what to push, what how to interact or not. I, I would say that, what is called the human capital in a, in, the, in a company, that tends to deteriorate as every capital and needs to be replenished, and especially in companies which are excelling in a field like ours. Yeah, you need to create a occasion to interchange experience and to train the younger ones. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you lose your edge and you lose your company culture. That's true. So I think it will work for a while and it's working very well. And we are working as well very much on the how to keep that up. And we have large presentation online and we are presenting each project. We're trying to find teams and chances to meet online. But I have to say, I'm really looking forward to go back to, to the office in person. Mm. Although the office itself would be a different one. I mean, we're taking the opportunity now that we're working from home to, to change a bit our facilities. Yeah. So it will be much less desk space and much more uh, communication, interaction, lecture yeah. areas and yeah. informal meetings areas. And I think every company has understood that now. You're keeping the, the, the old school in Clerkenwell? Is that where you are still? Yeah, yeah, we're still there. Oh, still cool, there where, cool. where it started. Well, that's interesting because uh, I, I remember when yeah. I, I used to be just around the corner and my studio, Frost Design, was in um, Clark and Will as well. And I remember coming in to see Zaha. This is probably like in uh, huh. 1998 or something. And I just remember just seeing the rows of desks and just the number of people crammed into that space. <laughs> it was quite incredible. I guess yeah, it's, now uh, it's empty. Now it's empty. I mean, people still go to the office. Yeah, technically... People doesn't need to take public transport or they just walk there and very safe distance because there's much less people. You can have a large area for yourself. Mm. So it's never, technically, the office has never been closed. So we always keep, kept it open. Okay. As well, we managed to do this incredible switch from working from home to uh, work, working from the office to home like uh, in a week. For us, I mean, for 
for architects, you need large computers and a lot of processing power mm. and screens, and it's not so easy as to do, let's say, other, other professions remotely. Mm-hmm. But it, it did work, and I think when we go back to the office, it may be a little better. If people will have more freedom to, to stay to work from home and have all, all the tools and connections. And when you are in the office, it's the it place you really go because you enjoy it. You enjoy the interaction, yeah. enjoy the opportunities that is giving you. So I think that maybe yeah. we take out one of the rooms to be forced to go somewhere and long commute and. Yeah. I think in that creative industry it's important as well the drive of the people. So I think it will be it would be better when we go back. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And the same with our space, we feel the same way. And Zaha did was such a prolific uh, and forward-thinking architect, and her passing obviously was a huge loss to to the the architectural world and the world in general. Um, you knew her well. Um, how have you and the team carried on her legacy whilst innovating and championing emergent talent coming through the ranks? I think that's uh, a question we have to respond for many times after passing away. I mean, it's now in March will be five years, so we think we truly went through the the worst of it. Um, I mean, as I say, it was sudden; it was unexpected. Actually, I was in Sydney on that that day, so I kept receiving phone calls during the night, trying to switch it off at the beginning. Well, then I understood there was something serious. I have to say that in the first moment was really a shock because the office was built around there so we couldn't see how we could do it without. Mm. But then, uh, as I say, we realized as well that one of her strengths that she didn't really want to do things herself. She she always empowered the others to mm. do. And maybe because she was a teacher for many years, mm. She would never tell someone. It was uh, every time we were doing a project, somehow the client expected that to come with an idea or a drawing and then pass it on to the team to, to develop. And that was really not the way we were working. Mm-hmm. The way it was now expecting from the team to come up with two or three options with solutions that she will comment on. She was never prescriptive on what to say. She was much more vocal about what not to do, but then everyone, every designer to find his way through uh, a project. So I think that process somehow built up an amazing team. And as I say, it was a collective effort. And when she passed away, we carry on with the project. We immediately start to win new competition. Uh, it was the same people. She mm-hmm. wasn't there, but the office was the same people. We mm-hmm. were doing the same work. Clients understood that much quicker than we did ourselves. Mm, that's interesting. And no one, not no client, no client really came and say, "Oh well, that is not there, so I don't work with you anymore." Wow. Because already over the years, they seen that team leaders were empowered by her to carry the project, take decisions. I think it, it was a in a way, although in a shocking moment, it was a pleasant surprise. Already a couple of months after passing, we won large competition and then another one. And actually, the office now is much, I would say, 30% bigger than she left us. So we kept growing as well. Mm. One part, obviously, a design partner, Patrick Schumacher, is still in the company, so it's continuing to have that 
role that she had to there just to be like co-author of projects. But they're mostly, there is a team of, let's say, 40, at least 40 people in the company have been there for over 15 years. So it's been a long process and that has carried on. So as I say, this is something new in architecture as well. I mean, usually you see the, you see the architect office pretty much the same as the, arch- the architect itself. And uh, we've seen the architectural uh, way business to change dramatically over the 20 last year, mm-hmm. partially because of technology. Mm-hmm. So the old design now is done, 3D modeling. We rely on the younger people actually to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I will have to do myself, I can only steer the process. Even with my own team, I can give direction and steer the process. Mm-hmm. But I'm not the one then doing the final touches or deciding exactly the layout or the shape of something because I'm, I'm not there on that, let's say, drafting, 3D drafting uh, table. So I think that has changed a bit uh, the process. It's not one person only. It's much more collective. Mm-hmm. So that, obviously, we kept on the principle and the philosophy because it's what we used to, what we did for many years, the way Bazaar set up the practice. And as many other companies, I mean, she's the founder of the company and got the principle. The company goes on a group of people goes on and uh, as we say, this, it belongs and we really truly feel that all the time belongs to us, mm. to the group. And it, uh, it's a successful practice, successful way to do it. And as I say, we, we kept on doing projects larger and larger. Okay, let's take the Western Sydney Airport. I mean, we're sitting on the other part of the world. We're relatively young and more company, there was competition involved in much larger, much, uh, let's say, practices which have been in business for much more than us. Through the client of the side, based purely on the merit of the design and the team that we are in front of you and we want that process. Just to mention one that you may be more familiar with. Yeah. So I think that with something uh, good in the in what we do and the way we approach it, and as I say, the sort of principle that now puts on, which to be always challenging yourself, to be forward-looking, to be open to innovation, and the world now is changing much faster. So the innovative approach is paying more than all the practice that we're doing, always the same. I mean, if you have a mindset that the building should look like that, you will never be able to include all the and all the environmental requirements that you have now, the social requirements which are changing, because you're too fixed on the, on the look of it. And if you have more flexibility, then you can adapt to that much more. Mm. So I think we are a relatively young company, and I think this is why we're enjoying the let's say, the, the amount of projects we do and the, the global, let's say, exposure that we have. So to come back to your question, yes, there's been a hard and very deep and very traumatic loss for us. Uh, but now, five years from that moment, we feel that she left us with legacy and we took care well of it. And we think now we can go on according with our principles, but without, I mean, any fear of the future. Mm. 
I guess the core che- te- team that you worked with, like in you know when there were twenty people, have they more or less stayed together, stayed in the organization? It's kind of the early days of uh, the office has influenced um, the continuity of the business to to this date. Uh, yes, I'd say we have an amazing. Uh, now you can say we don't have much turnover. All mm-hmm. the staff. I mean, yes, the twenty people are still all there, mm, wow. and people tend to be. As I said, there's been twenty years. Been twenty years, and all of the directors have similar projects. The next year, maybe fifteen. Uh, usually, people tend to stay quite long time in the company. The younger ones, they may stay let's say two, three years, because as well they are international, they move around, they like to explore different things. Mm. But once you've been for a few years, then you tend to be really long. So, and as well, if you want to see your building finish, so it's a long mm. cycle. But yes, I mean, people really enjoy to be, to be in the company. And maybe it's different from other companies. And you've given... I haven't seen many architecture practice where they give you full responsibility of a large project abroad, even if you're young and you can do it. I mean, all the companies are much more hierarchical. You have mm. an idea, you have to sign it off with your line manager, then you go to the board review and then so and so on. And people feel after a while of this process, feel a bit, let's say, remote and distant from the company. In our case, much more dynamic so people really enjoy and stay for a long while mm. we we spoke the other day uh initial conversation you talked about transport um and how obviously how important that is a major area of discussion even in even more so today in the world is rest- restricted movements and accessibility to essential goods and services and obviously the around sustainability we're killing the planet currently um uh with our emissions i mean are you what are your thoughts around innovation around public transport networks, etc., and reducing the carbon footprint? Yeah. As I told you, I think in transport is a big part of our, uh, of our portfolio. And obviously, sustainable approach and on this type of project is essential. I mean, we, we enjoy transport projects quite a lot. Mm. And we have an expertise which was built in the very days of the practice. I think, first of all, public transport are projects which are sustainable in itself in a way because they take out private uh, car from the street and that is always um, per se so really a benefit but as well we've seen both in airports in metro station in train lines there's a much more focus now on the user experience mm-hmm. so we're going on a second tier of let's say benefit is not only to bring people from one place to the other but as well, how to make that journey uh, safe, comfortable, and to some extent as well, an interesting experience. It doesn't need to be just a daunting uh, day routine. You mm-hmm. can have an experience when you take a station, when you enter an airport. You can have a sense of quiet and safety. It doesn't need to feel crowded or you feel fresh to, to shop or to go around or to run from one part to the other. And I think it's, I mean, obviously now there's not much movement going around, but it will come back. I think it will mm-hmm. come back even stronger than before. Mm-hmm. And we have a number of projects uh, globally. I mean, we're doing, especially proud, we are doing a large interchange station in, uh, in Saudi Riyadh. 
And I mentioned that we're doing many more. We're doing two stations in Oslo, in Estonia. We're doing other train stations in Prague. Wow. And obviously the Western Sydney Airport and other in China. Uh, the one in Saudi is quite interesting because it's the first, uh, the Saudi metro is the first public transport project in the old Saudi Arabia because traditionally they relied on cheap oil, so they all have car and go around by car. The street is large, but even that, it come to a very small traffic now, and they have to resort to public transport. Mm-hmm. So you have to use the station, and really they need, for someone they never use public transport, they may be as well a stigma attached to it, you need to make the station, which is the point of connection between the infrastructure and the user, you need to make it uh, usable, safe, uh, enjoyable to some extent, and let's say close to example of architecture you're familiar with, easy to navigate and to, uh, to orient yourself. And I think that it's a very, it's a very, very strong example. How as well, uh, this iconic station in the King Abdullah Financial District is designed for users that never take a train before. Uh, it would be groundbreaking as well. Women, family can take the train as everyone else. I think that is a special achievement. But in general, to say, public, pro- public transport projects are very important to us, and we try to to learn from them every time and that they get better uh, for the next one. Have you noticed that, um, that the briefs have changed at all of the type of work uh, or the type of briefs that are coming through since the pandemic? Or is it just is it business as usual um, from, your, from your perspective? Uh, no, there's been changes on requirements and briefs. I think there is, let's say, what, what is saying in the industry that the pandemic didn't really create Trends to just accelerate some trends that were there already and uh, make it much faster, uh, impose some some other trends which may return. I think one of them was the focus on well being, which was global trend already, but now it's been really accelerated. Yeah, so I think we, especially in large urban projects, there's much more focus on green areas, mm-hmm. on open space, how much of open balconies or uh, within, uh, let's say, residential development, you can provide how much breakout space for offices, how make the office more flexible uh, so you can allocate a number of activities, not not only desk desk work. These are all things which all large developers have in mind. And yes, we can see that as change requirements. I mean, the industry, the building industry, you know very well, it's long cycle. So we're building now on-site project designed two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the one on-site in two years will be designed now. So it's a kind of counter-cyclical. Uh, so not necessarily very influenced by one or two, or two years of uh, different conditions. But uh, as I say, generally, yes, there is this push both for more focus on uh, the environment and uh, health and well-being, and as well to some extent, to all developer, we understand the really the the value of mixed-use uh, project. If you have a town center, I mean that's quite ideal. If you have a town center which you have work and retail and office, 
within 15 minutes uh, bike ride that is considered ideal. You don't need to, to go to large tower in the city center. So ideally, you try to recreate that within a, in a project. So there's always, from public authorities, there's always a push for, for me, more mixed-use development. And then specifically, as I said, in office and retail and residential, there are some small changes. I mean, not small, but let's say on the second tier, if you take retail, it was already changing because of online mm. uh, possibilities. Mm-hmm. So retail was already more an experience and food and beverage and uh, open space and maybe changing markets. Uh, and now it's even more. So we, one example, we had a project which was a traditional shopping mall and then the client decided at the end, as we suggested, to transform in a retail street. So there's not air conditioned and closed environment. People can stay outdoor much more. And as well, the experience you have is more like a public uh, area, mm-hmm. and you have larger open open areas which you can dress for public events or for market, and that could make the experience itself more enjoyable. So people that could shop online is not forced to go there. It doesn't want to go. It will only go if you found interest. And for residential, as I say, there's more on private garden and larger green areas. In terraces. I mean, there's been a lot of talk how now people work from home and homes will be bigger because you have to allocate an office, but that I haven't seen that yet because obviously a bigger apartment will be more expensive and will move the market price higher and there's a question of affordability. While maybe there are more common facilities in residential building where maybe there's a space for uh, co-working area on the ground floor, on the lower floor. So they all changes, as I say. We, we've seen it before. Before we were seen as a sort of outlier or, let's say, the future of something, and now they're much, much closer. It's interesting because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of, lot of, in the CBD here, there's still a lot of buildings that are, you know, maybe a, a third full um, because of people still working from home. I mean, we do, everyone kind of hopes that we'll get back to, you know, we'll get out there and get back in, amongst the city, et cetera. Um, but it's not necessarily guaranteed, or, or is it in your mind? Do, do you think that it's inevitable that we'll all go back to the way that we used to, you know, commute, et cetera? I think we do on a, with, with a more flexibility because, as I say, you need to, to thrive professionally. You need interaction. And the, let's say in-person interaction is scientifically demonstrated to be more effective than the online one. So I think the people that, I don't know, it's always the case. We can, if we have a competition and we ask, you want to present online or in person, obviously we go in person because we know we have more chance to win. Mm, yeah. And that is valid for us, that is valid for any of the pitch or meetings. Mm-hmm. So I think, and people know that, and somehow you will, I think you will go back to normal with more flexibility, so maybe you will never have 100% of the office worker in the CBD, you only have 70% because the rest mostly work from home. Some of that building stock will be reconverted, but especially in Sydney, it's kind of a normal process. You can see in the CBD, you see more now of, uh, in, in Sydney as well in Melbourne, there's quite a lot of residential, and the authorities as well are pushing for a mix 
more mixed use. I mean, the old CBD that is purely office and then the residential suburbs is a model that we know at a urban planning scale doesn't work because it, it creates huge commute and traffic issues. So I think that every community is trying to somehow spread that uh, working places a bit more around mm. and make the CBD not only a place to work, but we can have entertainment, we can have uh, late night activities, you can have cinemas, and you can have some residential as well in areas where it's possible. So I think that the C- maybe the CBD concept will change, uh, but somehow everyone, I think, will still work from the office and from home on a, on a sort of balanced way. Mm. I mean, architecture, because of the length of time that it takes to create a, a building, etc. It's very time-consuming, right? A lot of detail, a lot of people working on it. And it's not very agile. Like, I guess when a pandemic comes along and you're halfway through a project, how do you or do you adjust? Do you already start to redesign that project? Or does a client just stick to the initial brief and go, look, you know, stick to what we're doing and continue with the project? Or do they adapt as a project evolves? You know, this is a bit unseen in the sense that, as you say, plans are drawn up and once you have a client that's a contract with a builder, very difficult to change it. So I think mm-hmm. to some way there is some things go on as normal because of it of itself, of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have small adaptation developer, they may not put everything, all the stock in the market at once now, but really... The, the building activities, I mean, the purchase of residential spaces that didn't blow up, didn't blow up at all, actually. At least in London, it went up. Yep. Uh, because people are saving more and is putting money on real estate. Uh, office space is a different thing. I mean, we can see that office space is very slow. We have some clients which we decide to put their project a bit later on in the market. Uh, and there is some kind of higher mortality of projects. But I think it's a question of timing. I mean, it will catch up. There are some, some small adjustments, but from client point of view, there's not much they can do. As well, obviously, maybe this is more anecdotic, but if you are a developer and you work, is to build and sell property, even if you understand that the market is lower, you will do it anyway because that's your job. Yeah. What else you can do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and people try, obviously, try to go on with their life and uh, with their work and hoping that they will go back to normal. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. Nobody knows, do they, really? I mean, no one in this world will know the exact future the next three years might look like, five years look like, ten years look like. Yeah, I think there will be, will be some behavioral changes, but something will be immediate. The, 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 let's say the more acute change will, will, will soften and go back to normal mm-hmm. I think I mean that, that's my hope maybe I'm an optimist but, <laughs> I, but we've seen it as I say we've seen in China on the early on the early days of the pandemic everything stopped uh, clients were not responding projects were put on hold then after it's gone we're back to normal even more mm-hmm. So I think you will have you will have a similar bounce uh, with some adjustment, uh, with some more, let's say, awareness of certain teams. But 
Uh, I think yeah, everyone wants to keep uh, mm. going back to normal, interacting, and uh, let's say do what they used to. John Luca, it's been fantastic catching up with you on Design Your Life today, and it's a real honor to speak to you. So thank you so much for your time. I'd like to ask a question, which thank I ask. You. That's cool. Uh, and I'd like to ask a question, which I ask all my guests: Is have you designed your life? I spent so much time designing something else that I always feel I don't put enough time on my life. I have to try to enjoy that as he can't. And I have to say that may be a better attitude. Maybe I'm more I'm a bit of a perfectionist and sometimes I get, let's say, I'm unhappy how things come up. I'm kind of, I could be easily disappointed if things are not going to my plan mm-hmm. so I learned to not do too much plan but to enjoy the moment okay so I think in my personal life or my life in general yes maybe less design less planning and more enjoying in the moment seems to be what mm-hmm. works mm-hmm. but that's very personal yeah no that's well that's that's a good uh, perspective especially when you've been working so hard your whole life you know um, putting so much into the, the work that you have yeah, and then likely to do something which I enjoy and passionate. So I think if you, if you, I think you have to plan when you're not, when you want to make change or you want to steer things in different direction. Then obviously you have to work hard and plan for it. If things are you enjoying what you do, I think you don't need much mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, better to focus on enjoy what you're doing rather than plan yeah. something different. Absolutely, and I'd love to see you in Sydney next time you come out here when it's when we're all able yes. to travel again. Yes, yeah, I'm looking forward to nice uh, beer on the on the on the bay side. Yeah, beautiful. And I know we're we're such we're so sunshine lucky. and things of things yeah. of the past, especially for me, which are in in winter London now. <laughs> I know, I know, damp and wet here is just stunning. It's just we're we're incredibly lucky. I say that we're in. You know, we're in lockdown in paradise, which is, um, you know, we're very fortunate in that regard. But look, it's been wonderful talking with you, and, and thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, Vince. It was very nice. And I always like the opportunity to, to take a one-hour break and then have an interesting conversation. And sometimes it's not easy to have it on a daily routine. No, thank you for that as well. I know. And looking forward to, to meet you in person. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care, my friend. Bye. Have a good evening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the third episode of Design Your Life. From Lego to Skyscrapers, the life of an architect with Zaha Did director, Gianluca Rakana. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be catching up with the Sydney-based founder of Tribe Studio Architects, Hannah Tribe. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.